Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. We're in the Kintech studio, and we're here with you for the next two hours. Hope you'll join us on Radio Sports at 650, on podcast, of course. You can listen on demand anytime, anywhere. Just hit subscribe, and you'll have all of our inside info, exclusive interviews. And during the season... And whenever the Canucks get back to the postseason, yes. you will get every single postgame show on the podcast as well. Yeah, can't wait for the playoff postgame shows. We did some last. I mean, last yeah. time the Canucks made the postseason in the bubble, mm-hmm. we had some unlimited postgame shows. Yes. We'll probably still do a lot of extended postgame shows if and when the Canucks make the postseason. Yeah. I'm just not sure I'll be here past midnight <laughs> on many nights. I uh, I don't think I could ever hear the word unlimited without thinking of Russell Wilson anymore. <laughs> he ruined it. <laughs> It's just like uh, Mr. Unlimited. Well, that and let's ride. Yes. You know, can't utter those expressions ever again. Yeah, which took a uh, a new meaning when he flipped a golf cart on the weekend. <laughs> when let's ride goes wrong. <laughs> you walking around, let's ride. That's right. Or don't. <laughs> or don't, Russ, or don't. <laughs> but, you know, after one game watching, uh, you know, each of these series get started, I'm already at the point where it's like, when are the Canucks getting back to this? Mm. This level of hockey. One of these days, then. One, One of these days, days it'll happen. One of these days, and we can watch and be angry over some Canuck getting suspended for a bunch of games. <laughs> That's right. Three games for uh, Michael Bunting. We'll get into that and some of our thoughts uh, on the playoffs that are ongoing. Kevin Woodley is going to join us. And also we have overrated, underrated coming up a little bit later on in the program. So yesterday we really dove into sort of just how much we believe Patrick Alvine and his uh, posture of we're looking at a lot of internal improvements. We know we need to add a third-line center, and we need to make some improvements elsewhere around the roster, but essentially playing the card of there may not be a lot of changes this summer. Hashtag running it back. Yes. To some extent. We're running it back for the most part uh, is – the posture it felt like the Canucks were taking in their end-of-season availabilities. And we discussed the merits of that and how much we believe it or not. You can find it on yesterday's podcast. But the one thing we can all sort of see here, Sat, and you can see when you watch the top teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now, you need more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this team, as much as we all like Elias Pettersson, both of them, the other one got a new deal today, or his first deal today. Um, they're both signed. They're both now signed. JT Miller, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko. It's great. Like, yes, you have a solid little core, but it is still kind of little. <laughs> yes. And it needs to be expanded a bit more if this team is to become a true contender. You've added Philip Hironik. You've added Andre Kuzmenko. And those are nice ads, but kind of feels like you need to add one more to this group. And how are you going to add one more to this group? And really, when you do the calculus, it's one addition to yeah. the core. 
because they moved Horvat to acquire so one more impact player. Yeah, and, and that's not to say this shouldn't. I mean, again, I'm not. I, I was full on board making the Bo Horvat trade, but my point being, when you look at adding to that big core, they're plus one player ultimately. Andre Kuzmenko, mm-hmm. Heronik, but you minus Bo Horvat on it. The question is, is the mix stronger because of it? Yeah. Are you better off moving Bo, having JT move into that spot? Well, we talked about Bo and JT being a little too similar as you mm. know the impact that they have on a team. Yeah. Neither guy's excellent defensively, and neither guy's a PK ace. Yes. And JT is the more productive of the two. Yeah. So you still have the same issue. You still need a defensive kind of guy for the... Th- Again, comes back to the issue we had about yep. the third line here for such a long time. But ultimately, if you want to take the step, and there's a difference between next year being a playoff team, perhaps being a 100-point team, mm-hmm. and being a Stanley Cup contender. So, and I do understand if you want to be... if, if Pragmatically, realistically, you're not going to put yourself into that Stanley Cup contending tier within a year. And I'm going to jump into that quickly, right? Yeah. It takes a progression to get there. And part of that progression is keeping... Add, keep keep adding to that core of players. And if you want to become a team like Tampa or even Toronto or any of these high-end teams, and I would be careful with as much as Seattle's up right now, it, it goes beyond the first round. And sometimes a yeah. team can knock off a team in the first round, second round, and then ultimately your lack of high-end players is going to prevent you from truly being a cup contender, right? Yeah. You kind of hit that wall at some point, even if you upset a team or two along the way to, to a certain stage. And I look at two things this team still needs impact-wise. One more impact forward and one more impact defenseman. The question with the defense is, could one emerge over time here? And forward-wise, unless you get draft lottery luck, though, where is the impact forward coming from? Because I don't really see it internally right now. Could it be a return to form for Brock Besser? No. I mean, yes, but no. Yeah. And when I say no, I don't mean in, in terms of he can't be a player to maybe even get 30 goals next year, but is Brock Besser going to become the type of high-end elite player that they need? They still need another elite forward up front. Like, yeah. you have the pair of Kuzmenko and Pedersen. Every single team has a couple of guys, right? You have about four forwards that are really high-end. Mm-hmm. You're still missing one to truly contend. And on the back end, you can maybe talk yourself into, because you have Hughes, you have Heronik, two higher-end type of guys, that if you get guys in who play top four roles— and emerge into that, yeah. then that can st- stabilize your top four at the very least, and maybe that's how you make up for that de- defense defenseman you still need at, with time. But up front, you still, like, it's a hole. Like, there's not a single person in this organization, Dan, I look at and I say, oh, this guy's going to be it. Is that something you don't, or they don't necessarily add this year? I can see it, because I, I think it's going to be hard to add that player unless you get draft lottery luck. Last year, they go through the offseason. They add Andre Kuzmenko. Yeah. You know, they add Ilya Mikheyev, who's another nice piece. And Kuzmenko was a home run because he came in on, a, on an ELC. Yeah. Uh, Kuzmenko, absolute home run. That situation happening again. Um, yeah. But you got your one impact, your real true yeah. core player last offseason. They feel like they've got... An, you know, they swapped out Horvat yeah. for Hronik, as you mentioned, but they've got another one added on to defense. And the premium position of righty defenseman, yep. which they've been lacking. And we've talked about Hronik may just end up being that big acquisition yep. of this offseason. And then next year, when some more money comes off the books, you have a little bit more flexibility, potentially. You have a better idea of where you're headed. 
maybe next offseason is where you're able to add that next piece. Yeah, and whether that's in free agency, because this is where it gets this this offseason, where we talked about Connor Garland, if you can yeah. move him off the books, why that's important. It's not just about the cap space this year, but if you alleviate some cap space, because he has three years left on his deal, yeah. once Pedersen and Hronix deals are done, that gives you another $5 million to play with in two years. Yeah. Or a year's time. And that could be significant for a team that's maybe looking to take that other step all of a sudden. Yeah. My, my one worry, though, is if they are op- able to open up cap space, I don't know if it's a worry, but mm-hmm. you, we look at their track record. Yeah. What is, uh, it's very what, fair. What does Elliot always say? You know, they're uh, the greatest predictor of future, <laughs> future happenings is past happenings. Yeah. Uh, and... Whenever they open up cap space, they cannot wait to spend it. Exactly. And in free agency, it can always be dicey. Yes. And if you're looking at the free agent class in 2024, and uh, it could be very different. Yeah, but I mean, there, there's still Sebastian This year's Ajo. free agency class. This I'm year's, not yes. So, not so keen But 2024, yeah. there's Matthews. There is, um, uh, what's his name? Sorry. There, Sebastian Ajo. Sebastian Ajo. There's a bunch of really high-end players available in that draft. Now, some of these guys will get extended. Yes. They won't make it to market. They'll get traded and all that. They'll get but, traded and extended with their new team. Yep. But if you give another year, to me, even beyond free agency, which to me would be like, hey, if we have to because we can't make other moves. But if you're keeping your pick this year, and let's say it's not Connor Bedard, but a good player that all of a sudden is part of your future, you made the pick with LaCara Mackey. Now, all of a sudden, you have two first-round picks you've made. Yeah. Next year, you add another first-round pick and decent player maybe. Now you have some prospects in your system. Mm-hmm. You've had the free agent signings you've had. Yep. You have some of the other prospects you've traded for. Do you build your system up to a point and your young players that in a year's time here, you can go and make that big move all of a sudden? You have some space to make a trade. You have some assets to make a trade. You have the ability to make a trade. So when Timo Meyer becomes available, yes. like New Jersey, you can pounce. Yeah. And I think that's what you're building towards as well. It's not just you want to get the, you want to build get those players hopefully through the draft, and yes. that that solves all your problems, right? Because then you're not giving up extra assets and spending to go and acquire them, and that's why this year's draft is so important. But if you add another year of building assets up, and if you can actually build up your players, whether that's a Hoaglander, whether that's a you know put Colson or whomever else, mm-hmm. and some of the guys on the back end. Do you get them to a point where it's either they're going to be decent players for you here, but you can put a couple together with a package that brings you a meaningful player back in return? And are you in a year's time in the market with the big boys to add that player that puts you over the top? That's what you also have. Like That's why trading the pick to me just for a guy this year doesn't make... You have to build your pool to a point where A, you have players coming, and B, you have the assets that when you're ready to go, you yeah. can go get that player that's going to put you over the top. Well, you want to have a surplus yes, so that you can deal from... You know, the extra you might have, the surplus that you have in order to fill that hole, but then not just completely deteriorate your prospect pool, which is, you know, sort of how they had been running in the past year for a while. The other avenues that they could take, um, and it's, you know, maybe they already played their lotto ticket with Andre Kuzmenko, but you have to keep taking throws at the dartboard to hope Mm -hmm. you can find your. Carter Verhage or Michael Bunting, uh, Brandon Hagel yeah. with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, like all of these cup contending teams, Nachushkin with the the Colorado Avalanche, all of these cup winners seem to have found a diamond in the rough somewhere, whether yeah. it's later in the draft or a guy that's in his mid-20s, never really had the opportunity that... Uh, or the role, or mm-hmm. whatever it may be, late bloomer, you call it, 
they've all seemed to have that one common theme of they found a guy out of nowhere that became a core player or a really valuable piece to their team. Yeah. So they they still got to take chances, yeah. to take some throws at the dartboard and, and some cheap players that maybe turn out to be very valuable. Yeah, and I mean, they've made a couple of those gambles so far. Yeah. Um, and on the more experienced end with the Travis Dermott types and yes. Ethan Bear, and Bear's worked out better Dermott, obviously he's, he's trying to deal with the health issues and we wish him the best as he gets back from his concussion and ultimately his future with the team is very much in doubt and we'll see ultimately where that lands but well another Dakota Joshua type but a, but somebody with an even better impact than that yeah and that's why you look at the Kraftsoff deal yeah he kind of fits the mold of that right he's 21 years old um has a lot of talent, been a high draft pick, hasn't really hit. Can you make him into something? I have my doubts over what we've seen and how far he has to go. But they're trying. They're trying. But you still need to do a few. Like you, you have to make, you have to try like five or six of those deals until one hits. Yeah. Uh, Tampa's been lucky enough to hit on a lot of those guys. <laughs> yeah. But they also signed a bunch of guys, right? And made a bunch of moves. And, and there Yanni is a, Gourds of the world, Ross Colton now, like, Tyler Johnson, even before Tyler that. Johnson before that, like they just find guys out of nowhere yeah. always, well, and, you know, and, and I think that's, that's the type of thing that you have to do. Um, and that part of it, I think there was a decent track record for now. And, and maybe the guy who's given us the most hope so far out of the free agent signings uh, outside this year was, you know, Akito Hirose and how he's played, right? right? How does he factor in? Can he be that guy on the back end who's a diamond in the rough? Um, they may have some within the organization as uh, the Abbotsford Canucks are kicking off their yep. playoffs tonight. First game going in Abbey this evening. We will have it here on Sportsnet 650. Of course, tickets available. All three of these games in their first round series are in Abbotsford. First game tonight. And then they'll play again Friday and if necessary on Sunday as well. But um, it's been a really positive year for the Abbotsford Canucks sat. And that hasn't really been a strength of this organization in recent years. The AHL team in Utica didn't provide a lot for the NHL team. The mm -hmm. development process that is supposed to happen didn't really happen. You had Thatcher Demko come through, and that's basically it. They seem to have changed that this year. Almost anybody who came up from the AHL filled in to the NHL role that they were given pretty well. Yeah. And played a strong, detail-oriented game. You know, that's a credit to Jeremy Colleton and the work that he's done down there and the advancements that this front office has made in the development side of of every player in this organization. But are we starting to see some real potential NHL talent on this Abbotsford team that can make it more than just a good story, actually have some tangible results adding to the NHL's NHL squad? You know, and we've, we've had this discussion throughout the year, and it didn't quite sink in as much because there were so many fires burning with the main clubs yes. that the small club didn't quite matter. But like the biggest success story this year, as we detailed throughout the season, was what's happening in Abbotsford. Like for all the issues here, like what's going on in Abbotsford is very positive. And yes. if you look at the development and the resources, the steps players are taking, the environment that they have there, like it's it's a very positive development. And maybe the most optimistic I've ever been covering this team about their draft and development plan, or at least their development plan. And the proximity of having the team there, the resources, the people involved, like they're really doing like the best part of their organization right now. How's that, how that is running. And I think yeah. they're very proud about that too. But 
I think there are tangible players, to your point, that can come in and play for you. I don't know who's going to be a star. And, mm-hmm. and, and maybe one becomes, right? And, and I'm going to allow that possibility, of course, right? But even Danila Klimovic took a step this year. Scored 17 goals. For a young player who's just turned 20. Yeah. You know, and so playing in the A still mostly as a teenager this year. Very few players who are 20 and younger score 20 goals in the AHL. Yeah. Even 17 is not easy to do. He took a step this year, right? Is he going to be and a star? really praised for how much he yes. took strides at both ends of the rink. And how hard he works. Yeah. You know, how, how dedicated he's been to becoming a better player and everything. But ultimately, are we talking about a guy if he hits third line, second line guy, potentially? Mm-hmm. But he has that possibility. On the back end is where you probably should be most optimistic about maybe one guy becoming something. And you mentioned Philip Johansson. He's a guy that they really, really believe in. Yeah. And I haven't seen him play in North America yet because he hasn't. And we'll start getting a look at him and see ultimately where that is at. We saw Hirose a little bit. Can one of those guys be a player for you? Out of the players they have on the back end, can one of them, can one of them become something for you? Well, they now have... At least uh, a collection of players where you can hope that there's a chance one of them hits. Yeah. And it's not you, just Rathbone back there anymore. No, it's Rathbone. It's Hirose. It's McWard. It's uh, Johansson. Yep. You know, and so obviously Willannon is, is going to be a, a guy that factors ball, in Willannon, NHL, But a little bit yeah. older, right? But yep. those are four guys that are a bit younger. Can one of them become a number four? And I know uh, Jet Wu got name-checked by Patrick Alvin. He took some big steps. He took some this steps year. this year. I'm, I wonder if his steps puts him into the breezeball category right. as opposed to putting him into the NHL, higher right. echelon. Like, but that's still a development. Yes. It's like, hey, he might play some games for you, be an option for you. And I think that's a positive. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But even up front, like Otto Ratu, we talk about the, exclam- uh, the reclamation projects, and he's not really a reclamation project because... He started going down before he was drafted in terms of his stock. And then since being drafted, he's actually ascended and done better and developed. But he's a guy that looks to be an NHL player. So he's going to play a role for you. But can he be more than a third-line guy? So I think they have a lot of guys who might play and give you something tangible. Third-pair defensemen, bottom six guys, real role players that can help you. Can you turn one into a star? That's going to be what puts you into that next category. And ultimately, but having these guys, as we're going through and some of the prospects, do you have enough assets in a year's time? that your system is so strong that when you call other teams and when they have big names available, they come to you to see if you're interested. Kind of like the LA Kings got going on. Yeah. And you're a long way away from being the Kings. But the point being, everyone calls the Kings when they have star players available because the Kings have everything you want. <laughs> they got a bunch of right shot defensemen. Yeah. They've got some really good young prospects as well at the forward position. The teams with the good pools get calls from everyone all yeah. the time. Hey, do you want one of these guys? Because they want to grab one or two players. And they know that you can make a multiplayer deal and get one or two guys that fit what you're looking for. And that's why you need to have, like, yeah, you want to have the high end, but if you have a bunch of prospects who develop, who project to be players mm-hmm. in different positions. It, it allows you the possibility to make some trades in the future. It's remarkable how much that is sort of turned with the Abbotsford Canucks. Like just the look, I don't know if there's a star player there. Yeah. Granted, but there is some depth now. And Hoaglander is an obvious one. Um, Linus Carlson. I still have my doubts because when we saw him early in the year, the pace was certainly yeah. Tough to see how there's an NHL future for him, but you talk to enough people and they really like what Linus Carlson put on paper this year and what he's been able to do for Abbotsford. So there's some players there. It's I, I really like what they've done to the depth, and that's going to help this team get a lot farther. But 
the addition of one more big piece at the higher end of the roster, I think, is what's going to yeah. allow them to really take the next step as a team. And realistically, you're a year away from really adding that player. Yeah. Unless, again, you get the lottery luck. I guess you could say at some point in the season could be you be a player. I'm just not sure you have the asset capital to be able to make that acquisition mm-hmm. in season this year. Depth doesn't matter unless you have enough pieces at the top end of your roster. Yeah. That's when depth starts to matter more. Yeah, And they're getting closer. I mean, they, they are, they are getting, getting closer. closer. Uh, so it's uh, it's been a good year for Abbotsford, and we're excited to have the playoff games here on Sportsnet 650, starting with Game 1 tonight. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Kevin Woodley is up next on Canuck Central. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. A lot of uh, good texts coming in at the uh, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Nate from Comox. Ratu is the same age as Klimovich, so same praise for AHL should be the same. Uh, Ratu did uh, play as a younger player in the A, but I believe he is a year older than uh, Danila Klimovich. In any case, both players are on the NHL radar for the Vancouver Canucks. They are the same age, so shout to Nate from Comox on that. Um, it's that They're probably the two most promising like upside prospects for the Abbotsford Canucks and our big pieces to watch during this playoff series as it begins tonight. Let's bring in our next guest. He joins us every Wednesday. He is the goalie guru covering the uh, Canucks at NHL.com as well. In goal magazine, it is Kevin Woodley. What's happening, Woodley? Not much. I was actually out there in Abbey watching the goalies work early yesterday, watching a little bit of practice. Um, Exciting times. Like, I hope... Like, I don't know. I haven't looked at ticket sales. I know there were seats available tonight. It'd be nice to see some support out there because that team's done a lot of good things this year. And as much as I've been critical of, of sometimes a lack of spending on an infrastructure side with this organization, and you know there was some of that was touched on in the season-ending meeting with Patrick Alvin and Rick Tockett, I think you do need to applaud the effort to bring the farm team close to home. And, you know, we can get into this when it comes to backup too, I think. Uh, backup goaltender for next year, having them that close. Like, there's benefits here. And I got out last week to watch Dustin Wolf and, and watched him play against Spencer Martin as well. And, like, it's th- there's an energy level with that team as well. Like, that was a really it's entertaining hockey. So, um, lots to like uh, out in Abbotsford uh, this week and into this weekend, depending on how, whether it goes to three. And I, I hope uh, the fan base gets out there and, and supports it because it's, uh, it's good hockey. Yeah, the uh, the development side for this organization hasn't uh, been up to snuff in recent years, but they seem to be, at least on Abbotsford's end, uh, be taking strides towards correcting some of that. Now, absolutely, you, you mentioned um, 
the end of season avails. Uh, what, what was what was your main takeaway from from what, what we heard from uh, the general manager over the last couple of days? Well, you know, honestly, um, like one of them was sort of, for lack of a better term, there was a gravitas. Like I know there was a lot of um, lamenting that Jim Rutherford wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some took issue with that. And I think that I think that's fair when you demand accountability of your players. Um, and your coaching staff, I, I, you know, I think you can ask it of your organization. And I was critical, like I said, of Alvin for not speaking often enough amid a bunch of trades leading up to the trade deadline. I thought he could have been more present. But I thought there was, you know, sort of a command of his audience speaking at that presser that, you know, like, I don't want to say we haven't heard before because there was an element of it at the trade deadline. But when you go back to last year sitting alongside Jim Rutherford and how much of this is him growing into the role and how much of this is him being the only one at the table. Like, regardless, um, I just think there was a presence there um, that I don't know we saw out of the gate from him in that role. Uh, And as much as he's never going to say as much as Jim Rutherford, and that's maybe why we in the media would like to hear from Jim uh, in part because he speaks his mind and Patrick's more careful. Like Like, I do think there were a lot of good answers there. And like you said, on the development side and, um, even when it's not answers that the fan base agrees with when it comes to, you know, for example, a, a Philip Heronic decision, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, the way it's explained, um, the way it's articulated, the plan, the keys, the focus going forward, I, I just thought there's been steps taken in terms of the way his voice sort of resonates in answering those questions. And um, maybe that's because the answers are better, whether it's development um, or, or other areas where they have taken steps. So, um, you know, they, they resonate better because of that. But I, I just think the way he addressed everything, um, there, there were steps taken. There was more of a presence there. Um, you know, there were, there were firmer answers. And in places where I don't know that the media is looking for gotcha moments, but recognizing that making big, bold statements, all it does in this market is come back to bite you in the ass if it doesn't happen. Um, I understand the need to tread carefully at times as much as, as a guy who gets paid by the story. Uh, I also like it when you make big, bold statements that lead to headlines right. and me writing more. I can understand why you'd avoid it. So um, big takeaways, obviously, you know, when you get into the goaltending and the fact they're not going to spend on it, I'm not surprised by that or they don't see that as an area they want to expend money on. Um, you know, hey, uh, after the presser was under, over, he touched on it during the presser, but after, you know, an admission that, um, you know, was something I banged on quite a bit at the time, like training camp was not ideal. And part of that was the renovations not being done. And, you know, again, that's where um, taking ownership of what you have to, when you're asking for higher standards from players, you have to be able to deliver them as an organization. And I think they fell short of having those rentals done, whatever the reasoning was and asking a team where the start was so critical to basically be transient in terms of not having a home base, not having their own facilities for large portions of training camp, spending so much time out at UBC where it's, you know, again, they're big boys and they don't need to have their hand held. They don't have to live in a perfect world. And a lot of players I talked to said like, um, you know, we just need to deal with it the reality is it wasn't ideal. And I think it's on, it, there's a lot of onus on the organization to finish these damn renovations in time, if it's possible for next season, or at the very least to the point where, you know, I mean, it's one thing to affect the visiting teams and believe me, they were affected. I heard a lot of complaints, 
Um, but to make sure that you actually have a home base come training camp and, you know, asking players to come back in August, um, I get it. And it'll be interesting to see because they're asking the leadership to drive that. Uh, the only players that were back in early August last year were all the goaltenders um, and all the Russian players. Nobody else came back to final weekends. But when you don't have your own facility, when you're asking them to go to a public facility that doesn't have the same, um, you know, the same sort of stuff around the facility, not just the ice, but uh, what you have access to off the ice when you get off, you know, in terms of um, therapy and, uh, you know, sort of like, I know the old facility used to have like hot and cold tubs and things like that. Like not having that, not having your own place to train, like it becomes a bigger ass. And I'm really curious to see how players handle that. It sounds like the leadership group is all on board. And this, hey, listen, this is an even bigger ask of Quinn Hughes. Mm-hmm. As much as Talkett said, I think it was a month ago, talking to us about how important it was and how a guy like Crosby and your leadership group drives that coming back early to work out together mentality. Um, you know, Quinn talked about it. He talked about it uh, at the year-ender, his availability. I've talked to him about it before, like, how valuable the work is he that he does with his brothers, with his dad. And when you look at the list of guys that they train with and like, it's a who's who and guys having incredibly successful seasons, whether it's, you know, a Dylan Larkin, Zach Wierenski, um, like there's a lot of guys that they train with that tend to have really good years coming out of that. Like he values that a lot. So asking him to give that up, to sacrifice that, to be one of the leaders that, you know, sort of galvanizes everybody coming back to Vancouver early, like that's a small ask or not a small ask. That's a big ask. And if you're going to do that, I think you owe it to these guys to do better, frankly, than what they've had in terms of not having, you know, being one of only two teams in the national hockey league that don't have a practice facility. And I know I've banged that drum a lot, but um, man, like I can go back 10 years to being in Montreal you know, with a handful of goaltenders, hell, half of them don't even play in the league again. So that's how long it's been. And they couldn't believe it back then. So the fact it still exists is, you know, not problematic, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly not ideal. And so I think that, you know, when you're asking the standard to be raised, you have to raise it yourself. Yeah, and that investment has to be there. The plan has to be right. And practice facility-wise, it may take a couple of years, right? So we'll see if that happens. And well, hey, man, like deals have been cut in the past. Like yeah. deals have been in place that could have been exercised. Yeah. And there's been a reluctance to spend. Like yeah. that's the reality. And so, you know, every year that this goes by without another deal in place and you're even turning the soil or starting to develop it is another year before we actually have it. Like I just... You know, I've talked to people that have been in the inside on the other side, on the business side of, of these types of things. Opportunities have been there. They've balked at the cost and balked at spending, frankly, much at all. And I think we're past that stage. Mm-hmm. No, I'm there. Uh, I'm there with you. And I think you're. It's, a, it's at a point that you have to get it done. And we'll see ultimately if they do get it done and how long that's going to take. Now, turning our sights to the postseason and you're covering uh, the Seattle Kraken Colorado Avalanche series. And it's a great uh, series for to start our uh, goaltending conversation because uh, Grubauer played, obviously, uh, played really well, obviously, for um, the uh, Seattle Kraken. But on Georgiev, he wasn't a problem at all, all season uh, for the Colorado Avalanche. And then game one happened. What, what do you make of the goaltending matchup and that first game and how Georgiev played? Well, I mean, 
okay, so first goal is a pretty bad turnover by Devin Taves under pressure. And as awkward as and, – and listen, like, Georgiev got out and left that puck for him, so he's got to recover back into the net. Um, I have trouble blaming him for that because I thought he left Taves in a pretty good spot in terms of that lead. He gets back into the net, and, man, like, the first save off Tolvanen, the blocker save point blank is – I mean, that's a beauty – and then Tolvanen bats basically his own rebound, one skip off the ice, bats it out of the air over the, over the pad. Like, that's not on him. The second one is the one which, you know, it's interesting. Like, he basically stumbles, right? Like, I think a lot of people see the shot by Wenberg, the catch and release, and it's a lateral play, and it's a, it's a quality shot. Um, but he sort of, he has a tendency to do what we call a hop step. And interestingly enough, Grubauer added it to his game when he was in Colorado. One of the things they've tried to get out of his game uh, since he arrived in um, Seattle is the hop step. And it's like a lateral shuffle where rather than making an, an open and closed T-push, you try and get across quickly by basically doing a shuffle with a little hop in between. And the benefit of it is if the play goes back the other way, you haven't opened your lead skate. Uh, you don't need to close it. You can just grab an edge and push back the other way. So the, there are benefits to it. But last night it looked like he caught the outside edge. He stumbles over as he's dropping to the ice. Like, watch, his pad actually goes underneath him. Like, there's no rotation. There's no slide. There's no butterfly push. Um, and a save that I think he makes nine times out of ten, as tough as a play as it is, I thought he was going to get there. He basically falls down. He stumbles and he can't get there. So um, third goal is a low high play. Catches him coming off the post. I don't know that you blame him. He made some really good saves in between. So I'm not really worried about Georgiev. Like when you have a, like it's almost like, a, you know, it wasn't a mental mistake. It was a physical mistake. Like he, he, he caught a rut, he caught an edge and it cost him. Um, I don't think that's going to happen often as much as I'm not a, as big a fan as Colorado is of that move, of that hop step. Um, on the flip side, you know, I saw some of the adjusted numbers on Grubauer's performance and, one of the Seattle writers were talking about like how this like was his best performance relative to expected. Again, public numbers. I don't. I, I didn't pull up the clear sight stuff uh, from last last night yet. Uh, but one of his best performances in the playoffs ever, and one of his top eight performances all time. And it required two posts and a look by Evan Rodriguez that hit basically the knob of his stick. And listen, like that counts too. It's a piece of our equipment. Quite often, you'll be making a blocker save and it'll just skip over the blocker just past your elbow, and the shaft's almost an extension of that. And it hits the shaft, and people go, "Ah, you got lucky." And it's like, no, man. Like in that case, that's an extension. Like that's that's part of my equipment, and I was on that anyways. And yeah, I'll take a little bit of a break, but that one wasn't. Like that was like not reacting. Puck is headed into the top corner, and it hits like the very end. So when you have the best performance, not just of, of what has been a very Eh, it's been above expected, but but not by, you know, sort of not matching what they're paying him season for Philip Grubauer. And it's one of his best performances all time and is his best performance in the playoffs. The question I have, as much as a lot of people are going to be like, ah, Philip Grubauer is back. This is a guy and he's comfortable in Colorado and he's played in that building. He's had success as a Vesna finalist there. Hey, like sometimes that can help. But the fact it was so out of proportion with everything else he's done, um, might make you a little nervous if you're a Seattle Kraken fan because that that tells me that it's not necessarily as repeatable um, as as maybe other elements of the Kraken's performance are repeatable. 
I'm not sure, based on what I've watched over the past two years, you're getting, you know, forget seven games of that. I don't know that you're getting a couple over seven-game series of that out of Philip Gruber. I hope so. Um, he's got that ability, but inability to deliver it consistently has been a biggest part of the problem, you know, especially relative to what they're paying him. So uh, the Maple Leafs are sticking with Samsonov for game two. Is that the right move? Yeah, unless he's hurt. And there were a couple times there was one. I saw Mike McKenna pointed one out on Twitter, and I actually made a note and sent a note to somebody late in the second period where, you know, as he goes to get back up, he almost drops his blocker over his knee. Like he's sort of like supporting himself as he gets back up. And I wonder if there's a bit of a lower body thing. When we saw him miss games down the stretch, it's bugging him. And so that would be my only caveat. If he's not anywhere near 100%, um, given what we've seen out of Joseph Wall, um, that that's the one that makes me nervous a little bit. Listen, at the end of the day, goaltending will be in the spotlight in Toronto, but they are a team that when you look at them relative to Tampa Bay on the season, like they've outplayed them. They are not going to win because of like they need to get back to that. If they're not going to outplay the Tampa Bay Lightning, they ain't winning because of goaltending. Right, they just need it not to cost them. And if you're not going to outplay them, like it's like they don't have much of a chance, um, you know. And so we'll see where the injuries lie. Obviously, losing Hedman and, and Cernak is is big for the Tampa Bay Lightning, but the Leafs need to resemble what they were in the regular season to have a chance in the series. They can't lean on goaltending. That's not how they're built. That's not the goal. How the goaltenders they got uh, or, or acquired were sort of expected. And so I, I'm kind of curious to see like a lot of these series. Goaltending goes in the spotlight, but I'm more curious to see whether the teams can, mm-hmm. you know, execute to the level they have in the regular season. Um, you know, I didn't love Samsonov's game. There are elements that I've seen throughout the season that were exposed last night, that tendency mm-hmm. to over-rotate on the glove side. So anything sort of coming off the, you know, to his left, anything being passed to that side, he, he doesn't really square up and he almost hedges away from the glove. And so he's, ex- he's exposable short side because he doesn't keep that shoulder closed on and he pulls back off of it. Um, you know, what, you know, even there wasn't a lot of clean from distance necessarily last night. Um, and that's something that, you know, low percentage goals on clean looks uh, has been problematic this season. So um, I, I didn't think going in, they were going to win because of goaltending, but I didn't, I, you know, I didn't think they would lose because of goaltending and, you know, I don't. I kind of feel the same way after last night. Like that was just a complete and abject failure of every element of your of their game. And so, dependent on the guy between the pipes, when you need to be so much better in every other area than you were, um, falls a little short for me. But I understand why that's the focus. Where does Stuart Skinner and the Edmonton Oilers' performance kind of fall in that same equation in terms of goalie performance and team performance? Um, you know, I mean, I think you saw for 50 minutes, that was a dominant team. And here's the thing about Edmonton. And I think this echoes a little bit of the Leafs. And we've discussed it a bit in the past. Like, you know, for years, we thought of the Leafs as this high octane offensive team that didn't defend. And that hasn't been true now for a number of years. They are an elite defensive team. I, you know, John Cooper mentioned that going into the series. And I don't think he was just blowing smoke as much as there might have been an element of mind games. The numbers bear it out. Um, five on five, the high danger chances, like they don't give them up. They're one of the best teams in the league at that. And this is, this has been true of Edmonton under Woodcroft. And it was true this year, you know, top, top, top five team for long stretches of the season, top two team in terms of not giving up high danger chances, the highest danger chances, the ones that matter the most come playoff time at five on five. And, um, 
the thing about Skinner, as good as his raw numbers have been, and as impressive as it is that he's able to just sort of forget thrive, just survive and give them decent goaltending um, with all the pressure that comes with being a cup contender and a first-year starter, like the reality is up until sort of early March, he was below expected all season. And the raw numbers look better because that defensive environment was so goalie-friendly. Since March 1st, and that's about six weeks, he's been much better. Like, you know, a full percentage point above expected, you know, getting into the top 20, top 15 in the league over that stretch. Um, but again, much like Toronto, like, if you don't outperform the other team, you're not going to win because of goaltending. There are nights when Skinner's given you that, but on a whole this season, you know, even with impressive raw numbers, you know, the sort of what I call the NHL.com numbers that everybody can look up, like a lot of that is team driven. And if you lose that team advantage, you know, you can't lean on him to bail you out consistently. He's done it from, you know, time to time, including against LA down the stretch in a night where they were outshot badly. But that's not what you sort of, that's what you require to advance if you're the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I do like his approach. I like what I heard from him after that game, that it was a learning experience and he's almost glad to get the first loss out of the way. Like, I think they're going to be fine because we saw them dominate it for long stretches. What I worry about if you're the Edmonton Oilers is you want to take care of the Kings fast because as incredible as they are defensively, their high-end offensive guys aren't there right now. But if Velarde plays tonight, that's the addition of one. If you let this series drag on and you get Kevin Fiala back into the mix, that's the addition of two. And you start adding those guys, and, and, and if Edmonton can't sort of maintain that defensive posture and the Kings start to get more finishing talent back, that's where I worry about this series if I'm the Edmonton Oilers. Like, I want to get rid of the Kings because they're, they're, you know, they're one of the few teams in the Western Conference that's better than Edmonton in those five-on-five defensive metrics. I want to get rid of them as fast as possible if I'm the Oilers. I do not want to let them get healthier in terms of some of the elite finishing skill that they've been missing down the stretch when you dominated them in the last couple of weeks of the regular season and certainly going into game one. Because, um, like I said, like, like if I look at it statistically, the goaltending advantage is on the LA Kings side. And if Edmonton can't maintain that defensive posture. You know, there is exposure there in Stuart Skinner's game, as impressive as he's been. Again, a lot of it is is a function of what's going on in front of him. You lose that, it's a lot to ask him to be the last line of defense, bail you out, stand on his head kind of guy, um, just because of where he's at at his career. Woodley, uh, always appreciate the time. Wish we had more. Enjoy uh, enjoy the trip down the I-5. I am going to enjoy the trip down the i5 looking forward to some playoff hockey it has been far too long since i've got to cover it in person and uh, like i said for the rest of you get out to abbotsford and support that playoff hockey because i it was a fun barn on being there on friday night and i think it's going to be even more enjoyable especially best of three it's just going to be it's going to be a blast so get out there and support it folks you're going to need uh, earplugs uh climate pledge arena down there it might be loud might be loud. I'm an old man, so there's a chance. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am a crusty, bitter, grumpy old man, so maybe I'll just, the noise-canceling headphones and pretend I'm actually hip and cool and I got some type of vibe going on, but really I'm just hiding from the noise because I am a bitter, crusty old man. Yes. Love it. Uh, we'll talk soon, Woodley. Thanks for this. Take, take care, guys. Uh, there he is. Uh, one of the best in the business. Kevin Woodley. Uh, with knowledge about goaltenders that knows no bounds. Stan- yeah. <laughs> Legitimately knows no bounds. Yeah. 
no bounds at all. And it is fascinating at the Edmonton thing because I wonder about that with Stuart Skinner too because I'm like, Edmonton played so well. Mm-hmm. And kind of switch off for a little bit and next thing you know, they go in. But you don't have another another choice. You don't have any. Like You're kind of stuck there. <laughs> it's like you, You'd still rather Stuart Skinner than Jack Campbell. Yeah, for now at the very least. You, unless you lose game two, then it's like... I don't know what they would have to do to have so little confidence in Skinner to go to Jack Campbell. Well, he would have to like exp- implode in game two. Yeah. And you're like, we can't go down 3 nothing <laughs> in this series. So you got to win game three. But I mean, Campbell is just like... The guy was a mess all year long. He was. I mean, and it's not a feasible option for you. No. I mean, Edmonton is really good. They are. They're really good. The only thing that's going to stop them. They had no them, business losing that game the other night. No. They, I mean, they were handily the better team. Yeah. The only thing that's holding them back is if their goaltending implodes. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily him imploding, but that third goal was, you can't let that in. No. Like, you make that save, the game's yeah. over, right? You win the puck, you get it down 16 seconds ice, left. It's done. Yeah. You can't let that one in. Three, two, one, sure. The third one, you can't let that one in. Now it's uh, close to a must win for the Oilers tonight. Well, because, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the season, and I, th- I think it's even more imperative come the postseason. In the regular season, if you lose games that you have in the bag, you don't get them back. No. You can lose games where you outplay the team, you don't get results, and it's like, hey, you'll get that back later because you weren't rewarded. But if you literally piss away a game that's yours, you don't get that back. It doesn't come back to you. I wonder, do they regret losing a game they shouldn't have lost? Yeah. That's what costs you in the play. Like, how you lose a playoff series is you lose one game, maybe, that you shouldn't have lost, and you can't get it back. And yeah. that's the difference in a series. I hope it's not, because I picked Edmonton to win, but that's what I worry about. <laughs> a lot of us did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the Kings are getting Velarde back uh, tonight for game two of the series. It's Stan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central.